And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say That I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died SkyBlueRadio.com got Robert Randazzo from Precision. Well, PMDG is uh, what they're really popular for. PMDG.com. Check them out. He'll be coming up here in just a minute. We're getting him into the studio, getting him his favorite beverage and, you know, pillow blanket, put his feet up, you know, make sure that he's comfortable. In the meantime, got some uh, refugee, Tom Petty, the Heartbreakers, one of his favorites. And then uh, something cool from Pilot Edge. You know, it's uh, it's always interesting when it comes to flight simulation and, and, and flying and stuff like that. Sometimes the mic gets stuck, right? And nobody likes a stuck mic. But guess what? We had it uh, recording at this time. Thank you to Keith from PilotEdge.net for sharing this with us. Check this out. Uh, a Cessna Caravan. Okay, looking for that traffic. Uh, scratch some some Lima and a Aircraft, the advisor transmitting on frequency. 
happens to everybody, right? <laughs> You're not a true flight simulator pilot. That hasn't happened to you. <laughs> for your version too. Tom Petty and Heartbreakers by request. Rest in peace. seconds or less, this is Sky Blue Radio News. Truckers MP Announcement. Introducing our latest feature, available now at Truckers MP. Now, patrons have the ability to be recognized when using the in-game 
text chat. What do you think of this? Let us know by commenting. For this story, as well as other great news stories, visit skyblueradio.com. DJ Skip for Sky Blue Radio News. We sound great at any altitude. Boy. 
Sorry about that, guys. You know, sometimes technology just it just doesn't work, does it? And uh, well, I think I think we got the uh, the mice out of here. And uh, let me welcome Robert Randazzo from PMDG to the Sky Blue Radio Studios. Robert, are you there, sir? I am. All Good right, evening. Right. How you doing tonight? <laughs> well, now that you got your tech issues sorted out, oh, I'm doing pretty man. well. Yeah, you believe that? It's almost like beta testing every day on the JT show. Every day there's a, a bug or a mouse or something that doesn't make the wheel turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We we use Skype internally, and it seems like every time you turn it on, it's a little different. Yeah, you just can't win. So uh, you got all kinds of stuff going on at uh, PMDG, but before we get going, I want to play this quick clip from our uh, friends over at Pilot Edge. Uh, Keith Smith, a good friend of mine, once uh, he sent us a couple clips of uh of pilots that connect to their network and uh it's it's really funny because as a flight sim pilot you know you you really never you never know what's going to happen and uh, you know you always plan that perfect flight and everything's going to go perfect i got perfect weather or whatever and it never it, it never at least for me maybe it's just me maybe it's my pilot skills that uh it, it never goes as planned so let me play this real quick for you because i just i think you're going to love it and uh, certainly the listeners will, and then uh, and then we'll dig into it. Here we go. Test stream one zero six. Descend and maintain one two thousand. Contact SoCal approach one nine point six. Descend and maintain one two thousand. Contact SoCal approach one one nine point six four one zero six. Jet stream November four one zero six one thousand one two thousand four. I'm sorry, one thousand ten thousand. One two point seven for for twelve four one zero six. Test room four one zero six. Thanks for brightening up my night. The Ramona altimeter three zero zero two. Man, that is just anybody that uh, that starts in flight sim. I tell you what, you know the uh, you, you know the controller is firing uh, commands to you, and you're trying so hard to keep up and not look like an idiot to all the rest of the flight sim community and. It's just really funny. So thanks for indulging me there, Robert. Um, you know, today was a big day for PMDG, right? Version uh, 3.00.0025 came out, right, for the 737-700 series. You want to you wanna kind of touch on that for us a little bit? Uh, sure. So we have um, pushed, gosh, I think this is our third update for the airplane now since it released in May. Um, this actually is a smaller update. We pushed out, um, you know, we're pretty heavily into the 600 and the, and the 800 at the moment. Nice. Um, but there's a, a lot of stuff that, that flows laterally through them. So we bundled up a bunch of that earlier in the week and handed it to our beta testers and they, um, signed off on it yesterday. Uh, so it went out today and it's a, it's a bunch of, um, yeah, you know, clean up, sharpen up, detail up type stuff, uh, graphics and, and models and animations. Um, but it's also a couple of big nuisance items that we've been chasing. Um, you know, the airplane had a tendency to, to have problems with uh, damping out atmospheric-induced rolls at high altitude, and we've got that knocked down. Good. Um, we also had problems, something that has been um, the center of my desk now for three weeks has been uh, trying to figure out why our airplane would not play well with game pads. Um, so that's been resolved. And in the process of doing that, I just took the time to rebuild the entire tiller nose wheel steering process. To and that, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that, actually. That's that's interesting. 
Yeah, and so we, you know, basically the the goal is to try to bind things as closely as we can to the SIM platform, and and we work so heavily in a customized section of the universe that sometimes you kind of have to take a step back and look at it and ask yourself, am I making this harder than I need to make it? Um, and th- I think the answer might have been yes. So, you know, we we now have a, 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 a much better tiller nose wheel steering model than we had before. Um, had a little bit of intellectual input from uh, Eric at Asobo to kind of get me pointed at something that, um, that we... Um, weren't used to seeing that's different in the SDK for Microsoft Flight Simulator. So um, that kind of unlocked a few things. And, uh, you know, along the way, we got the got the game pads working. So that, that should keep a, a number of folks happy. There's been some folks sort of drumming their fingers on the table waiting for that. And so today that finally came out. That's nice because, you know, uh, uh, I, I was flying the other day and uh, actually I've been flying almost every day since the second version came out and i'm really enjoying it personally and, and i've always been a boeing guy and and uh you know thankfully with your products uh, it's made it a lot a lot of fun the the steering for me um i don't have a yoke i just use a, a joystick and because i'm cheap and uh this last update it was hard for me to to make some of those turns and stuff like that and i'm guessing that's what you're talking about with the with the fixes with the turns or uh maybe it's something internal i'm not real sure yet yeah, the um, so on the on the Boeing, the, you know, this is true for the entire Boeing fleet. Is that Boeing has a an always on tiller, so you know when you grab the tiller, you can turn the nose wheel. Oh, okay. And it also um, provides uh, pedal steering via the rudder pedals, but it is a damped model, and it it does not provide a significant amount of steering range, and it varies a little bit from airplane to airplane. Some are four, some are six, some are seven. The, the 737 through pedal steering through the rudder pedals will give you plus or minus seven degrees of nose wheel steering. And that's to make taxiing simpler when you're just, you know, sort of barreling down a straightaway. It's just a heck of a lot easier to do it with your feet than it is to constantly be monkeying with a tiller. Well, yeah, because you can um, be drinking your coffee and, and stuff like that, right? It is important to minimize the number of times the captain must set down his coffee, especially if he's left-handed like me. Um, you know, I, I can't drink coffee with my right hand, so I can't work the tiller and drink the coffee at the same time. Right, priorities. Boeing thought ahead. So, um, but the the pedal steering is really also very useful in crosswind takeoffs and landings because as you're working the rudder, you're getting a little bit of steering as well, which accentuates that level of control and it and it helps when you've got you know cross controls for um, for uh, you know crosswind during takeoff and landing, and uh, we've had that in in our products for. Oh my gosh! I don't know. Ten years um, on the the FSX and prepared side, and, and we had that because we had the ability to directly tell the simulator we want the nose wheels at this angle, um, and so we would intercept all the inputs to the steering. We would amalgamate them all, um, run it through our own customized magic, and then give the sim back uh, what we wanted it to have worked marvelously for a wonderfully long time um, with Microsoft Flight Simulator, that input channel got turned off. And so... Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and, and that happened with, with, with SU-9. Um, so... Why, why would it, they turn that off, though? Um, it... Uh, you know, I don't think it was intentional. It, you know, it's not like they looked at it and said, we don't want them to have that. Um, the... Um, 
it, w- it happened in the change where Microsoft added a tiller steering axis to Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh-oh. And when that happened, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is a wild guess here. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay. But I, I'm guessing what probably happened was in order to add the steering tiller, they rewrote a bunch of stuff and, and whoever was rewriting it said, you know, we probably don't need this this input over here and repurposed it. Um, so it screwed everything up. You know, it happens sometimes. Um, and I mean, we've, we've done that to other developers accidentally with, with our own SDK. You know, we have some corner case that we think, oh, nobody's ever possibly going to need that. And we turn it off and you know, half an hour later, you're getting, you know, 400 emails. Um, so, it, you know, it happens and it happened with SU9 and that was four days before release. And so we had this big debate internally of, you know, do we hold the whole release to figure this out or do we cripple the steering on the airplane and, and come up with sort of a patchwork of, of solutions while we figure this out? And we um, we obviously decided to go with the, the patchwork of solutions. Um, and it didn't really work all that great. What we did was we assigned the tiller to the Prop 1 axis so that users who had a tiller could, could put the tiller input through there. And that had been that way through our entire beta testing. But then we also would take the, the rudder and we would control what the rudder axis was capable of giving you in terms of steering, and we would mash them together and make that work. And that was for the um, second update, right? So, yeah, so then the update okay. came along, and, and that broke. Um, but we have been asking a lot of questions um, of Asobo, and, and and part of the challenge there is um, the, you know, what we would go to a Sobo and say, well, hey, you know, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to do X and Y and Z. And, uh, you know, I sort of imagine, you know, you know, the, the, the poor fellow at, at a Sobo on the other end, um, sort of tilting his head to the side and <laughs> wondering, what are they trying to accomplish? Um, you know, so there was always that, uh, you know, trying to explain what it was we were trying to do. Um, and, you know, the, and there was a whole lot of back and forth on, on this over, a, you know, a number of weeks. And finally, what wound up happening was, um, you know, in, in, in an effort to try to figure out the game pad issue, I just, I essentially wound up writing a whole bunch of customized software that did nothing but extract data from the sim to watch all the inputs and outputs to figure out, okay, when the user does this, where is that signal winding up? Wow, that's um, interesting. And we were eventually able to kind of figure that out, map out what was going on internally, and then leverage that to our advantage. And so... Um, you know, going back to, you know, are we overcomplicating this? Um, we found that we could actually leverage something that Asobo does that, that none of the previous sims do. Um, you know, they gave us in the flight model the ability to do some things with nose wheel steering that we've never had before. So instead, I was able to kind of leverage those to give us the responsiveness that we need um, so that we could give the user the correct experience so that we wouldn't need to do all that math internally on our own and force it on the simulator. It turns out that by using these parameters that, that Asobo has given the development community inside the flight model, we could get the same effect through that means. So, um, so I, you know, I would, I would chalk this up to, these are the growing pains you're going to hit when you start to develop on a new platform. Um, you know, that the, that's one of the, discussions we have internally all the time is is when we run into something that's not working quite right 
okay, you know, let's take a step back and let's look at the, the wider picture here. Is there another way we can do the same thing to leverage the capabilities of this platform? Because, you know, Sobo, they really have created a wonderful platform. It certainly has its, you know, its knee knockers um, for all developers. But overall, by and large, it really is a fantastic platform and it has some very thoughtful corners to it that really do help developers out. And, um, you know, if I don't have to do all the physics and math of, you know, trying to figure out what the user inputs are and what turning radius that gives the airplane and what the, you know, the, the side load is on the, you know, on the nose wheel to, you know, what's the arc going to be? So what radius does it need to turn? If I don't have to do all that math because the sim's doing it, honestly, I'd rather let the sim do it. Um, so it's, uh, so it all worked out. So I, I guess you had me through the whole your whole thing there you know explaining everything but y- you lost me when you said knee knockers what, what what's a knee knocker um <clears throat> a knee knocker is uh i think it's a a phrase that comes out of the navy um when uh, i was younger i had a lot of everything. friends who were in the navy and, and sort of like you know you're running down a passageway of a ship and if you picture the doors in a ship you know they're kind of oval shaped um and if you don't clear the bottom of that oval with your knee you you really know it so yeah um, right. so that's a that's a knee knock <laughs> that's pretty funny you know I, I was looking at the uh the change list for the 737 today and uh there's all there, it's a pretty big you know you say it's a, it's a small update but you know looking through some of the stuff i'm like wow you know that that's all for me that's a lot of stuff but you know i'm not I'm not a developer, so that uh, that that was very very cool, and I'm I haven't had chance to to try it yet. I uh, just loaded up at Denver International Airport, of course, and I'm sure you will appreciate that in the United Colors. Here at Bravo Thirty Nine shortly, so cool. I do have some questions. Uh, from listeners that are listening from around the world and uh, so we'll get to those but let me um, let me ask you some other questions besides the 737 because you know 737 is a pretty big deal for you right now but uh, there's you know a lot of your customers uh, myself included want to know about other products that that you're doing so um, can you tell us something about the 777 Uh, Andrea wanted to ask about that his actually his exact question was uh, are the Boeing triple seven series being produced in parallel with the rest of the 737 variants and he says a lot of us are very thirsty for long range aircraft what do you think yeah me too um, <clears throat> you know the um, the, um, the the 737 is a it is an odd little duckling Um it is a marvelous tool for airlines, um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm an airplane snob. I, I like the bigger Boeings. I think they are more well thought out, largely because they they broke the traditions um, when they designed them. You know, the the seven three seven. The the history of that is really that you have to you have to go all the way back to, you know, 1961 and, and look yeah. at the original, you know, test bed airplane. And right. there's stuff in that airplane that has carried through for 60 years. Um, and Isn't that amazing right there? I mean, 60 years for the 
737. That's a long time. It, yeah, it is. Um, and you know, and there's there's a whole bunch of you know, documentaries on Netflix and stuff like that that would appear to um, argue in favor of why it perhaps may have been a good idea to control alt delete the flight deck of the airplane and and you know redo that during certification, but. You know, anyone who's ever been anywhere near an airplane that's being modified uh, cringes at the very idea of that. Um, but it, you know, it just the seven three is an odd little duck, and and there's a whole lot about it that, when you understand its history, makes perfect sense. But when you compare it to its bigger siblings, you just kind of sit there and say. I really don't know why this airplane operates that way. Um, and so a lot of times we get into, you know, people will ask questions in the forum and they'll say, well, you know, I noticed if I do this and this and this, it does this. And I'll read it and I'll think to myself, oh gosh, we must have done that completely wrong. And I'll, you know, reach over to the bookshelf. I've got, you know, 150 manuals on the shelf here or so. And you know, I'll pull, you know, whichever you know, whichever document that I need and I'll start flipping through it and read through and go, oh, no, actually that is right. Um, so it just there's parts of it that just don't make sense to me. Um, so I can't wait to get to the bigger Boeing's. <laughs> I just uh, I yeah. just can't. Um, I'm, you know, I um, was uh, I was at, at United Airlines in a management capacity when the triple seven was being um, uh, brought into service. So um, I've always kind of had a um, I've always had a real soft spot for that airplane. Yeah, me um, too. You know, some of those airplanes that that we took delivery of. Um, are still in Weller. I think they're actually parked with that whole Pratt & Whitney thing going on, but um, they're still technically in service. And, you know, I was good friends with, um, you know, the a couple of the first batch of United pilots to get type rated on the airplane. Um, and, I, you know, I worked around them early in my career, um, and a bunch of my friends uh, worked around them, and, and it's just a, just a marvelous airplane. And so it has been fun to build that airplane in Microsoft Flight Simulator, um, you know, or sorry, in FSX and prepared, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it in Microsoft Flight Simulator. And you know, I, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a four-engine snob. I, I like the the seven four. Um, I've got a seven four type rating, and you know, there's a whole lot that goes with that. And um, I can't wait to get to that one. Um, but the the question really is, are we doing them in parallel? Um, and I am going to give a politician's answer and say sort of. Um, and I say <laughs> sort of because the the way our development process works, um, you know, if I throw out the word Gantt chart, you know, most of your listeners will probably, you know, their eyes will roll back in the head and there go half your listening, there goes half your listening audience. But if you sort of think of our flow, our workflow in terms of a Gantt chart, there is some overlap between the end of one project and the start of another. And we're in that overlap now. Um, so, uh, Vin, who does our cockpit models, um, we have the entire, um, cockpit, uh, the, the, that, that whole flight deck is already, um, we have it in pieces. It is, it needs assembly, it needs massaging, it needs cleaning up and it needs texturing. Um, and that does take a fair amount of time. So he is now sort of splitting his time, um, between the triple and the and the seven three, you know, there's still a lot of work going on in the seven three. Vervin, it's largely cleanup and detail work, um, and so he does some there, and he's you know doing some work on the triple. and And the goal is that he should be more or less finished when um, when we hit the end of the the um, 
when, when we hit about the end of the 800 development, he should be then ready for us to start coding the back end of it. And um, uh, Alex has already started working on some of the code on the back end. Um, I, I haven't been near it yet. Um, uh, Dr. Vows hasn't been near it yet. We're still pretty heavily involved in the in the 800. So, um, so there, you know, we will just sort of, you know, what happens is it's not like we we draw a fine line and say, okay, this one's done, and now we start this one. And it's not like we're working on both of them at the exact same time. There's there's overlap, and developers start leaving one project and moving over to the other. Um, we sort of jokingly refer to it in in house as you know the you know if something's going on with one project. We refer to that taking place in the 737 hangar, and then you know okay, well I'm going to go wander over to the 777 hangar for a while because I got to go work on that. Um, so you know that's so um, you know the the one that um, is moving most slowly right now is the 74, and we are um, trying to secure some some data that will help us with that one. Um, so, uh, but you know we. Gosh, we have a ton of work in front of us, and it's it's really fun. So we've, we've got some great stuff coming. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work with the 7.3 in Microsoft Flight Simulator, and I go and look at it in prepared, and I just it just makes me excited for seeing that vast difference in, in visual quality um, on the, the triple and on the 7.4 because those are, those are sort of favorite projects. It's interesting that you talked about the 777 and working for United because I think you and I worked for United uh, Airlines at the same time and in, in, uh, both in Denver because uh, when, you, when you talked about the 777, I think I was, work, I was working the ramp uh, at, in Denver when the 777 uh, was kind of introduced. And uh, I agree with you. Uh, it's a, it was a beautiful airplane. And uh, I remember them doing one of those uh, employee uh, flights before it went into revenue service, and uh, my then wife and, and I went went up there, and we I went up there and had a tie and everything, so I get a, a first class upgrade, and and I did. <laughs> I, we 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 got first class, and uh, the captain took us up, and uh, we went north, and uh, it was probably the one of the only times in uh, in a United airplane, at least, that uh, the captain left the cockpit door open. And, uh, you know, while he's flying, you're able to go up there and kind of check things out and, and talk to them. And we ended up uh, coming coming west and, and descending over Las Vegas and, uh, and then uh, coming back into Denver. And I really loved that airplane. I, the, the one thing that really stuck out for me was, um, at least for that flight, was the hum of the, uh, of the engines. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. You know, it's like yeah. somebody turned up the bass, you know, you're going, you know what I mean? And uh, that was really cool. But then uh, after that, um, working the ramp, of course, and naturally being in Denver, uh, snow hits. And uh, I was on the de-ice crew. And uh, they, um, we were doing ramp de-icing, if I remember right. That was a long time ago, of course, 90, 94, something like that, 95, something like that. And I remember being up in the bucket uh, and uh, squirting the airplane with, you know, with, with glycol and stuff like that. And I was just amazed at how huge the wings are on that thing and how uh, impressive the, the engines are on these things. You know, they talk about, uh, you know, you could fit a fuselage of, is it the 737 that they say they can fit inside there? I'm not real sure that that's yeah, accurate, yeah. but uh, it's still really cool. And uh, and when you talked about you know um, 
Denver and the triple seven. It just kind of triggered some memories for me too. So that was pretty. Did cool. you know I, I opened that airport? I was on the opening team um, back in, gosh, whatever the heck year that was. It must have been ninety four. Yeah. Um, they start I, to run together after a while, but yeah, right. Uh, you, the, you did uh, yeah, mention I, that. I got tasked with walking around the airport with this this suitcase device that was. Um, what we've all come to know now as a GPS. Um, and I had to had this laundry list of, you know, sort of drag it from place to place and have to go and verify coordinates on, on a piece of paper. And I, I presume that they uh, were related to um, what became the, the, uh, the gate um, uh, position loading data. Um, you know, but they, they handed this suitcase to, you know, I was functionally, I think I was still a kid. Um, and I, didn't know a north latitude from a west latitude, you know, at that point. Um, and so, um, you and me both. so it was kind of funny, but I, I wound up using it. I dragged it all over the airport before I had to give it back um, and took the positions of all of the spires in the terminal building so that I could go home and, and build the terminal building in in, um, in Microsoft Flight Simulator. I think it might have been FS4 at that point. Um, wow. And that was my the first scenery I ever made, um, and, but it was but it was pretty cool because I knew exactly where all the spires were because I had the little you know this big suitcase that was a GPS. Yeah. <laughs> so wow, that's funny. pretty cool. I never knew that. You've never you'd never told me that. That that's really yeah. cool. Yep, and um, and the you know the, you talk about de-icing triple sevens. Um, I was in the I was on the operations management team for United Airlines at Dulles um, on the international side, and you know we were basically a triple seven show at that you know at, at this point in my career, and we had an ice storm, unforecast roll through Dulles uh, the twenty third of December of ninety eight, and. Um, it turned into a massive crisis because, you know, they, up in Chicago, they were like, you know, we expect you to operate because these airplanes are going to Europe and they're coming home on Christmas Eve. And right. we can't just cancel the whole inbound on Christmas Eve. That would make the front page. And uh, we had ice coming out of the sky at such a rate that as fast as they could hose a triple seven off, the airplane would ice up. And so we would have two and three full sets of de-ice crews working the same airplane and as soon as they were done, it it uh, it needed to be de-iced again. And the the I have this vivid recollection of um, the uh, uh, the chief pilot for uh, Dulles at the time came rolling up to me in his car, and I was standing there watching this poor crew struggle. And he rolled up to me, and he rolled down the window, and he looked at me, and he said, "You know we're screwed, right?" <laughs> and it just the honesty in that statement struck me as hilarious because uh, we were really up against it, and. Um, you know, as a kid, I had read Arthur Haley's um, uh, book, Airport, and oh, it yeah. reminded me of that moment because we were fighting a winter storm that we literally could not beat. Um, and, you know, we had, um, oh gosh, that, I mean, I have this vivid recollection of sheets of ice coming off the top of 777s and, and shattering on the ground next to ramp crews yeah. and finally having to make the decision that we needed to pull the crews away from the airplanes because it was dangerous. Right. Uh, you know, it would it would. I mean, it could theoretically kill you if it hit you the right way. It could, yeah. So, and um, you know, we had a we had one airplane that had pushed off the gate. I think I think it was going to Milan, and the captain called. He needed management involved, and the flight attendants were saying that there was somebody on board who 
you know, there was some issue and they needed to get that person off. And I'm looking at my watch and doing the math and saying, if we open the door, they're illegal. This flight cancels. So, oh. we, you know, it, it, it was it was a looking back on it. It's fun at the time. It was not. Yeah. Um, but um, you're like, suck but, it but up. The, but eventually we got them all out of there and everybody got home on Christmas <clears throat> Eve. And I was on vacation that day. Um, and as I literally I had showed up at the airport to leave on a flight. And when it became obvious that things were going to kind of blow up in our faces, I just, you know, put my bag in my office and put my tie on and went to work. So um, it was uh, it was quite an adventure that sometimes day. you got to do that, you know, being the boss like you were, you know, you, you got to do that sometimes. It's unfortunately, but it, it is. That's why you get paid the big bucks, right? Well, yeah, I wouldn't say I was paid the big bucks, but, um, you know, I, I worked with a lot of exceptional people and and it just you know it's one of the things i miss about working for a a company like that where you're working with a group of people who are really mission focused yeah you know you walk in and there's and there's problems there's it never crosses your mind that you're going to walk out and continue on with what you were doing you know these are your friends these are your peers you know these people are your work family and you're you're in it through thick and thin with them and and um you know it's funny i'll bump into some of the folks who were there that night and we'll laugh about it um, and it's and it is funny if you if you know for those who worked at United Airlines in our international operation on that day it is it was a common bonding experience that was a horrific experience um, and and everybody remembers it. Yeah, it, it you know you're starting to bring back some memories because I can remember some really bad storms at at Denver. You know it's not like it used to be uh, as far as weather's concerned here in Denver. You know we used to DI set the at the united hangar um and uh, we don't well i don't i don't think they do that anymore but um i remember being in, in one of the buckets that was open before they you know even closed it freezing my butt off and uh squirting a dc-10 and uh we almost nailed the dc-10 because there was just so much snow and and uh fog or whatever and uh it just uh it was pretty scary for me being in the bucket saying all all of a sudden the fuselage appears and i'm yelling at the guy driving the truck saying stop stop halt you know (laughs) shit i don't want (laughs) to you know and then uh, Uh, it's a young man's sport it is you're exactly right and you know uh speaking of that back to the triple seven and i promise to our listeners that uh we'll, we'll get back to some of the other questions but uh we're obviously in a groove here. I was uh, the one of the first flights of the triple seven uh, for me. I was on the loader at uh, Bravo thirty six at DIA. I was on the rear. I was on the rear side, and uh, I was so excited because I just I started with United as a as a temporary part time. Then I got permanent part time, and then uh, permanent full time. So excited because my father retired from united after 10 million years and um so i'm all excited and i'm like i'm joe cool i'm loaded the triple seven the rear pit and i got all my ld3 containers and stuff like that uh loaded and it was time for departure well my problem was is that i started to close the door to the pit um before i put down one of the side rails on the loader so the door came down and i wasn't paying attention i was just a kid and um the door got stuck on the on the on the rail of the loader so my lead uh naturally came over and started honking the horde on the little tractor he was driving saying hey you dumb you you know you idiot whatever you know stop doing whatever you're doing and what they ended up doing was uh letting the air out of the tires of the loader so we could close the aft door 
for the triple seven. And then naturally, of course, uh, it went on mechanical because they needed to verify that uh, that they could pressurize the airplane. So that my, my United career at that point uh, was potentially very short lived, <laughs> <laughs> and and thankfully uh, it, that didn't happen. But uh, the the majority of the experiences that I had. Uh, with the triple seven in Denver were were awesome, and, and let me tell you that with prepared three D, uh, the triple seven, uh, I have a blast with that aircraft. It, it, you guys did a really really good job with that, um, and I'm not a real world pilot, uh, so let me just put that caveat out there. But uh, I I really enjoyed it, and you guys did a really good job. So so thank you for that. Um, you know the, the the triple is just a, it is a marvelous flying airplane and and um, I've never had an opportunity to fly it professionally but um, in all the projects that we've worked on and a bunch of the other you know gigs that I've been involved in I've, I've had yeah. ample opportunity to fly the simulator and it's um, it, it's always sort of fun to put someone in the seven four sim and have them hand fly that for a few moments and especially if they've got enough piloting skills to really understand what they're dealing with. Um, you know, hand flying a, a 7.4 without the auto throttle and, you know, that sort of thing, or with the auto throttle even, can be exhausting because of pitch coupling. The nose is constantly trying to cycle up and down on you. And with the triple, the fly-by-wire damps that out. So that, that problem goes away. And uh, you essentially wind up with what feels like centerline thrust. And, you know, that, that is such a marvelous piece of engineering when it comes to reducing pilot workload. Um, and you know, we took a, a buddy of mine down. We stuck him in a triple seven simulator, and um, we gave him a, a max gross takeoff out of Hong Kong. And it was a guy who flies a Baron, and um, exceptionally good pilot. He, he flew the, his Baron and an RDC three with us, and we loaded him up in the in the sim and, and gave him a, um, a catastrophic failure on engine two at rotation. And nice. he's you know at this point in his life, he'd never been in the flight deck of a full-blown airliner before and he was kind of overwhelmed by everything so he never did see all the red stuff light up um and you know since the airplane uh you know mutes a lot of the uh, uh alarms and sort of that sort of stuff on on rotation you know we just told him you know follow the flight director and gave him the basics of that and you know he rotated and left the ground and he was commenting on you know how amazing the climb performance was and i was just about sliding out of my seat laughing because you know he'd blown an engine and was flying away with max cross takeoff weight with an engine out and he thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen <laughs> so it was uh it was just sort of you know it, it it really is just a marvelous marvelous machine and you know, I, I think if I were, if I had to pick, you know, what is the finest airplane that Boeing ever built, I would, I would have to say it's probably the triple. Um, so, and actually, that that kind of brings up a, a a question for me is that before the triple seven was here, what what was your favorite uh, aircraft that Boeing came out with? Oh, uh, the, the four hundred. I mean, that you know, I mean, you know, what little kid doesn't look through an airport fence and want to drive a seven forty seven? So, yeah, um, you know, that was always the case when I was. Gosh, I think I was 20. I had just gotten my pass privileges at United. I flew halfway across the country just to get a ride on one for 30 minutes. Yeah, um, you right. know, so that affliction started pretty early. <laughs> um, but um, you know, it is it is a it's a that's a marvelous <clears throat> airplane. Um, and you know, it's sort of funny when you um, you know you look at it and you compare it to the advances that were made in the seven years between you know 88 and 95 between those two airplanes. Um, the advances made are astronomical, you know, both in wing design and avionics and, and that sort of thing. Um, so when you step from the triple back to a 7.4, it's, 
um, you know, it's been described as going from, you know, the Starship Enterprise back to the space shuttles. So Yeah, right. Um, That's exactly what I was just going to say. It's, it's a change. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, uh, you know, I'm looking through the um, your the update that you gave via your uh, your forum, pmdg.com, and we're talking with Robert Randazzo from from there. If you guys haven't, uh, if you guys just joined, because I know that we have a lot of new guys that just joined. Can you tell us something about the uh, 600 series of the 737 development update? I know you talked about it briefly on your forum, and then uh, I want to talk about the uh, flight tablet for the 737. Yeah, so the the 600 is, um, you know, poor little thing is a, you know, unloved redheaded stepchild. Right. Um, uh, no offense to redheads, I guess. You know, <laughs> sorry if you, if you get hate mail for that, sorry. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's an unloved little airplane in the simming community. And, and uh, you know, internally, we, we have a ton of fun with it because it's a rocket ship. So, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to fly. Um, so we were... Um, just about, I would say we thought we were about halfway through the the uh, modification, you know, the the the, uh, the differences development process for the um, uh, for the six hundred, and we decided that um, we were going to use the six hundred as a mule, um, and I and I use that term. I'm not sure if it, um, you know, if it makes sense to to users who've never worked in a development environment, but um, you know, we've got the 700, and that airplane is um, very far along in its development cycle, and we're really into a refinement stage. But we want to be able to take you know, continued fixes that are taking place because of the 800 development cycle and push them across into the 700 and push them out to customers just as quickly as we can. In a, in a perfect world, we would do that once a week. Um, my personal schedule keeps interrupting that. It seems like I always wind up being out of the office late in the week for some reason. So it's it's been about every other week. But um, one of the things that we wanted to be able to do was make a dramatic change in the code base uh, for the entire 7.3 product line without disrupting the update cycles on the 700. So we decided to... Um, sort of make the, the release schedule of the 600 a bit of a, of a schedule casualty uh, or a development casualty. And, and we moved this new lateral flight path that we've been working on for a couple of years into that airplane as a test uh, to see if our theories were correct that because it is a uh, because it is a, you know, a, a, it's a mathematical geometry physics based system in theory, it should work exactly in the Microsoft Flight Simulator environment as it does in prepared. And so we thought, what better way to test that out than to tear the the, uh, the lateral flight path out of the 600, put it in, put the new one in there, and hand that to our beta testers so that they've got them side by side. Um, the, uh, the 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 other side to that theory, of course, being that the busier we can keep our beta testers, the the less they ask us for new stuff. So by giving them two airplanes, we figure we can keep them well enough suppressed that we can actually make progress rather than fixing all the things that they usually find. So um, so the 600 has become the mule for the new lateral flight path, and and we are hours away from signing that off um and i think we are going to um, and i want to i stress i think we are going to merge the the new lateral flight path model into the 700 next week and then put that into testing and and since it's 
you know that that piece has already been tested in the 600 then it would roll out uh in the next update cycle for the 700 and and that will finally allow me to check the box on a promise i've been making to pmdg customers now since 2012 that we were going to replace the lateral flight path uh, simulation in our airplanes um, wow. so we will finally have done it um and you know it's just it is it was a huge project um you know uh dr vouse who's our our resident aerodynamicist you know propulsion engineer and, and mathematician um you know, there's only one of him, and there's about six projects that we need him working on. So, you know, this one has been a tough one for him to really get traction on. And over the past two years, it has been his primary focus, and and it's uh, it really it really shines. It it gives us the tools we need for the 737 and all the Boeing's that come after it. Um, and uh, so we're we're really happy that we're finally at this stage. Um, so the 600. I think we're fairly close to signing that off for release. It will uh, it will release before the 800, um, and the 800 is still more or less on schedule um, for uh, for you know probably in the first half of August. Um, so and that might slide maybe into the third week of August. It's kind of hard to tell. We've got a lot of moving parts that have more to do with. Um, uh, with travel schedules of our team than anything else, and and we uh, we we don't like to put a product to marketplace if key players of the team are out of position because right. if we push it out and something weird happens, we want to be able to throw people at it to get it solved right away. So, right. Um, but uh, but That's the, good. The, you know the uh, I keep wandering off the topic. The, the, you know, the, the six hundred is such a small airplane. There's not a whole lot to say about it, I guess. But um, but it is a um, it's a you know it's a, a marvelous simulation. Um, there's there's not a lot to it, you know. The the 700 has got, you know, the the BBJ and the and the cargo version. The 600, they no, they never did those things. Um, and um, that I know of, they never gave it winglets. Um, you know, so it really is a straightforward one-off airplane. Um, we are going to be um, putting that in uh, marketplace, and we are you know looking at giving it a real um, you know in what they call in the retail community a, a loss leader price because we want to give people an opportunity you know people you know see and they read you know about PMDG and if you've never been around our products you've no idea what we're capable of so by you know putting a, a product out there that is um, you know it's very competitive price wise because the airplane is there's not a whole lot to it um, you know it's it's a single airframe and it's a sort of a single mission airplane. Um, that that gives us an opportunity for people to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to try this, and, and I'll take a look at this and see if you know I, if I like what PMDG does, and you know we hope that you do, and that uh, that will lead to people having more confidence in in spending money on our on our other products, which are more expensive. Yeah, it, it you guys definitely have a lot on the on the plate there. It is it's actually a testament to you guys on how good of a job that you're doing because everybody's like what about this what about that when are you going to do this what are you going to do that and it's just it's just really cool we do have a couple of uh, questions that are coming in via the uh pmdg form actually oh and, no uh, you course, hang out there well you know uh, i i know this guy rob and he just kind of that's kind of where he talks you know what i mean well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think he, i think that, that dude writes a lot of stuff <laughs> Check out uh, pmdg.com, folks. We're talking with Robert Randazzo from PMDG. He's the boss. Um, let me do a quick station ID here real quick, and then uh, we'll get to so, uh, those questions. Here we go. Sky Blue Radio. 
Radio would like to know. As you ship say your supply. 30 minutes before ship re-expansion. Oh, just enough time to obliterate all those little potential usurpers. Engine status? Nominal. Fuel supply? Full. Air supply? Very well. Roll the lips over the gums, look out testicles, here I come! Gadley Radio, keeping you pressurized. You're listening to JT and uh, Robert Randazzo from PMDG. Check them out, people. PMDG.com, that's the place to go. And uh, I'm a very loyal customer of theirs and have a really good time. Let's go to their forum. I do have a, a stack of some other uh, questions that were sent in via email. And uh, if you're in the Sky Blue Radio Discord channel, uh, you can certainly uh, post your questions there or... Uh, email me at jt at skyblueradio.com. So, uh, Rosie991, I'm not sure what the real name is here. The question is, is will the MAX be mostly likely after the 737NG777 and the 747 are out and done? Are you there, Robert? Yeah, sorry about that. I hit the, you know, see... Run a technology company, can't work a microphone. Um, so <laughs> you know how I feel. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, so I kind of don't want to answer that question. Um, yeah, let's see here. So what am I going to say? Let's let's say uh, you know the, the quintessential mechanics answer. Uh, maybe um, we don't really know yet. Um, the the after what the work we've done with the NG series, we've already got the foundation built in that for max um as a developer we are all eager to kind of get a change of pace by shifting to a new airplane um if i think if i were to tell the team hey we're just going to roll right through max next i might wind up um you know they'd probably find my body in a construction area someplace encased in concrete (laughs) um but um you know, we, we like to get a change of pace now and then, um, and the the Max is a pretty straightforward modification for um, for us, just given the similarities in, in the airplane. Exactly when it's going to come out, though, I, I don't know. Um, there's so many variables that it's kind of hard to, to guess, and, and one of the things that I'm learning is that... Um, uh, somewhere out there right now, Vin, who's one of our developers, he's cringing because uh, he sort of gave me a bit of a stern finger wagging lecture Sorry, about ben. I need to be more careful what I say. Um, <sighs> and because yeah. I, you know, I tend to sort of talk about like, well, you know, we could do this, and then we could do this, and we could do this, and then it comes back to us as you said you were going to do that, and you know, it's like, well, no, I was kind of talking out loud. So um, there's a lot of variables, but it will be, it's going to be somewhere, somewhere between us finishing the NG. And starting the the next Boeing after the seven four, it'll be somewhere in there. Nice. Uh, and then, then uh, what was the other one I had? And actually, oh, here it is. And this is really cool because this is really important for me because uh, I'm I'm kind of one of those. Um, well, I don't want to say geek, but I'm kind of into that flight dispatching kind of thing. And uh, C Simmons, uh, what Charlie Simmons? There it is. I'm sorry. He says, hey, Rob, can you talk about global flight operations and what hurdles PMDG is still tackling and what features can we can we look forward to? And that's an awesome question because, like you said, I, I'm really into that GFO kind of thing. 
Yeah, so we, um, with GFO, um, the, the concept for GFO really was conceived back in 2008, um, and it percolated and was in the background, um, and, and it wasn't until 2015 that it actually started to get some developer time. Um, in 2017, we decided to elevate it to a priority development process, and we actually detailed part of the development team to working on it. And um, in 2018, uh, we went to Vegas and we unveiled it. We, honest to God, thought we were six months from worldwide release That's cool. at that point. Um, it is amazing when you try to do something that you don't normally do. You know, we're an airplane developer. Right. Um, you know, you give me an airplane, I can give you a pretty good estimate of how long it's going to take to build that. Um, we were into something that was very different than the core of what we do, and it was way more complicated than we anticipated. So um, brought in some new developers, brought in some new talent, and we've got that very far down the field. Um but then the world changed. I mean, along comes Microsoft Flight Simulator, and there are some things about Microsoft Flight Simulator that make it incompatible with global flight operations in its current iteration. And we are still working to resolve those issues. Um, and you know, we had a, a very serious internal debate, um, actually a year ago right now, um, about the fact that we had finished the DC-6, we were evaluate a year ago, we were trying to decide how are we going to get the 737 through this very difficult developmental process. And we made it a strategic decision that it was time to uh, make it an all-hands effort. And so we moved the entire development team to working on the 737, which effectively put GFO in mothballs. Um, we then felt badly about that, so we drew straws, and uh, poor Rob, uh, not me, the other Rob, um, he drew the short straw. So he got to work on GFO by himself for a while um, because there were some uh, some pieces that um, worked really well just having a single developer working on them. And he did some remarkable stuff that we're kind of excited to, to show people. Cool. But as this was going on, we were watching, you know, the player numbers in the prepared environment shrinking dramatically and going up dramatically in the Microsoft Flight Simulator environment. So from a business standpoint, it makes no sense for us to make that a developmental focus until we could sort of get the world stabilized by getting our first couple of products into Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, you know, revenue was off almost 90% from three years prior. Um, you know, it, it, we... The, the writing was on the wall, and, and we needed to make some strategic changes. So um, so GFO is still, it's actually still running, um, and cool. some of our beta testers are still flying at it. Um, we are not currently pushing that one uh, down the skids, though. Um, we are focused on entirely on the 7.3 and the, um, uh, the tablet that goes in it. Um, but the good news is that tablet will be what breaks down the barriers that would prevent Microsoft Flight Simulator users from being able to be in the GFO environment. Um, and that, that barrier is, is a, actually a technical problem between um, Microsoft Flight Simulator, anything that is developed with C++ as a core, which is all of our stuff, um, cannot communicate outside 
Microsoft Flight Simulator. So, um, so our airplanes, for example, cannot reach to the outside world to pick up, you know, weather and um, you know your uh, your your sim brief plans and and uh, you know nav charts and things like that. Um, more more difficult uh, for us is the fact that all of the sort of standard Windows communication tools that are available on a Windows machine are locked out by Microsoft Flight Simulator. So when we put the 7.3 into Microsoft Flight Simulator, it's not capable of talking to the GFO servers because it's not capable of, of reaching the, the comm layer within Windows that it needs. Oh. So you know, we've talked about this with, with Asobo. Um, we've talked about it with Microsoft. Um, the... Um, I think they're planning to unlock those, um, and I and I say that kind of quizzically because they they're very careful about what they promise. Um, and when I have asked very specifically, when will you unlock this? The answer is, we can't say right now. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why that is. Um, you know, they won't elucidate, um, which is fine. That that's you know, I'm not owed an answer, but um, so we're kind of waiting on that. But in the meantime. We continue to try to chip away at this problem because you know sometimes the best way to solve a problem is to work around the, the issue. So we are working around it right now. We've got some uh, some protocols in place that will allow us to connect our airplanes to the outside world. Um, and uh, you know I, I want to be careful about how much I say about that because we there's still a whole lot of work that has to be done there. But if we can get the tablet and the airplane to talk to each other and the outside world, which we know we can, but it's a matter of getting it to do all of the types of communication that we need. Once we get that, then we can shift back and say, okay, now we can connect the GFO universe to our Microsoft Flight Simulator products. We already know the prepared products work. Um, and if we know that we can turn it on for our Microsoft Flight Simulator users, then we know it's worth the development investment to continue forward. So, um, so unless in, in anyone interpret anything that I just said as, oh, we're not doing that anymore, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we are doing it, but developmentally our priorities had to shift to the 7.3 and figuring out how to make C++-based products communicate with the outside world across the entire range and spectrum that we need so that GFO will work in the Microsoft Flight Spinner universe. So um, that was a really long-winded and boring answer. <laughs> so what are you saying, really? <laughs> There's a guy in our forum who's poking fun at me because, you know, I can never say anything in the short version. And I gave a summary of something and said the short version is X, and then I said the long version is, and then I had, you know, 20 paragraphs of whatever. And his reply back was, all I needed was the short version. Thank you for doing that finally. And it was like, okay, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. And, you know, uh, I prefer the long version because I, I'm just interested in, uh, on, you know, how everything works. You know what I mean? So that that's pretty cool. And that's where I get in trouble, Jeff. I mean, it's, it's hilarious because I'll write all this stuff, in, you know, in our forum because I – I mean, I've done that since PMDG was an infant, and yeah. you know, in the in the the smaller flight sim community that we come from, you know, yeah. the sort of the FSX and prepared community, right. people wanted to hear. You know, they want to know, and in the much larger community now, you know, people see that wall of text and they go, "Oh, this dude has way too much to say," um, and they sort of skim through and they and they sometimes miss the points, and then they you know then some some people get upset because they they don't think you addressed a certain issue or you said the wrong thing over here, and the reality is you know you did say it, but it just kind of got lost in there. So that's how I get into trouble. 
Yeah. Well, don't, don't worry about it. I got your back, okay? <laughs> yeah, you got yelled at too, so yeah, we're, I, don't, I don't really we're, care. We're in this together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's do, uh, I got uh, uh, just a stack of questions here, so Go I hope ahead. you don't Step mind. Through them. Uh, Mark uh, Teg, I think is his name, Teggy, something yeah. like that. I'm, I apologize for that, Mark, if I batch that. He has three questions for you. He says, um, this is about the 737 from Microsoft Flight Sim. Is the new VNAV scheduled to be worked on uh, after the new LNAV is finished? Um, I have no idea what he's talking about with new VNAV because we haven't talked about a new VNAV. Um, VNAV actually got a huge update three years ago. Uh huh. Um, but what he may be thinking of is that with our um, with our current lateral flight path, the way the distances are computed is point to point, and it doesn't involve radius of a curve and things like that. The new lateral flight path model um, will calculate the distance the airplane is going to travel, including any turns and curves. Um, so that refines the math, and it and it does make um, the uh, the vertical profiling uh, algorithm work much more accurately. Um, we are adding features to uh, to VNAV. Um, the uh, you know for 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 people that are as nerdy as we are about airplanes, um, you know a CDA, uh, which is sort of a you know a constant descent profile, um, is a, an amalgamation for um, you know of new behaviors for for VNAV. We're in the process of adding that in. So you know having the new lateral flight path allows us to kind of tighten up some other areas. But I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a new model. That would be that would be inaccurate. Okay, and then the, uh, the second question he had, uh, I think we've already answered, is when will the ground steering be fixed? So uh, I think you already nailed that about earlier. About three right? hours ago. Yeah, about three hours ago. Good job, Robert. I'm pretty hey, impressed. You, they ask and you deliver, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, any news on the debugging tools for Microsoft Flight Sim? I don't think I, I, I got that. So, um, yes. And, wow, that was rude. I just... <laughs> I apologize. I'm literally. I'm sitting here. My wife brought up, set uh, Hershey's Kisses on the desktop in front of me, and I just shoved one in my mouth while I was talking. I'm not that's quite nice sure why I did that. Sorry about that. That that's love right there. She must love yeah. you a little. She takes good care of me. Yeah, um, mine too. But um, the um, <laughs> sorry. What were we talking about? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what were we talking about? I so I, I, I derailed we, myself there completely. We were talking about uh, Mark uh, Teg uh, asked about the debugging tool from yes. Microsoft Flight Sim. Yep. So um, yeah, that was really funny. You know, I mean, JT, you and I are just sitting here talking. I forget that we're actually doing a broadcast. So I'm just like in my head. I'm just having a conversation with you. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to eat while I'm talking to him. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Th those are the best <laughs> ones too. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> that's like the zoom call or you know the podcasting version of going to the bathroom on a zoom call you've you've seen people do that yeah <laughs> so, anyway um so the, the the debugging tools we um got uh you know the news with everybody else in the world today that um the new um sdk19 which did drop today um, has some new tools in it. And a couple of the guys on the team, right at the end of our day today, we're talking about they're going to pull the beta version uh, over the weekend and start playing around with it to see what it does. Um, so I don't know what the what tools they've added. I mean, I, I read the same thing everybody else read, and, and it is exciting, and I'm hopeful that it will um, that it will help. Um, you know, what 
the to get debugging working fully in Microsoft Flight Simulator is um, is a highly, highly, highly complicated process because of the use of WebAssembly. And um, you know, when when Asobo set out to build the simulator, I don't think they really originally intended for us to be able to debug C++ code inside the platform. I think this became a requirement later, and and it's been hard for them to 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 move that um, that needle. So. Um, we have seen bits and pieces drop in with with different service updates, and every time they make a you know an adaptation or a change, it does make our lives just a tiny little bit easier. It sounds like what's in there this time is a big change, and if it's what I think it is, it is dramatically going to um, uh, speed our efforts. Um, cool. But what we I I don't think. However, the, the the thing we need the most is included in this, um, and, um, and and the reason why I say I don't think it's included is I just a couple of weeks ago had a conversation with a developer at Sobo about that topic, and I think if that were baked into to the service update, he would have been more than happy to be able to tell me that because he's really tired of me nagging at him about it. Um, but um, but that's okay. Every bit helps. Um, you know, this is a a tremendously complicated process um and you know we've got um years and years and years of development code and and libraries and capabilities that we haven't been able to use and that's caused our our work to take a long time i mean i this this um this gamepad and and nose wheel steering issue um there were three of us who spent most of the last three weeks working on that and the reality is if I was able to, if I had the same problem and prepared, it would have taken me maybe about a half an hour um, just because I can do more active debugging and see data inside the sim and, and, and work with that data and change the data to see outcomes and, um, you know, build test cases on the fly without having to, um, you know, also write tools to dump the data into text files and then have to go through it by hand and parse it out and figure out what it was doing and, you know, what, what happened at what line and um, so... So we're we're hoping that that's we're hoping that this this update is where we'll start to really accelerate. Um, you know, I I know, um, you know, I I know Asobo's working on it. They've been working on it for some time. They they promised us we'd we'd start getting tools mid year, and you know, I'll I'll give them you know I'll, I'll give them the credit that the eighth of July is that's pretty close to mid year. I'm happy with that. What about the seven fifty seven? You know, we we've talked about that the last well the last couple times you've. You've been on with me, and, and let, I really appreciate that, by the way. I got I one sitting through. on my desk. It's still here. Well, yeah, um, okay. And, that, that's great. That's uh, you know, the first step. Let, let's get it into you know, a, a flight you, you asked me about what my favorite airplane was, and, yeah. you know, when when millions of years ago when I was a, a ramper um, up in Manchester, New Hampshire, there was a UPS 7-5 that used to fly into our station, and we would get the mail loaded on our early morning departure to Chicago, and then I would go out and sit on the tug at the back of the airplane with my morning cup of coffee that, you know, usually I'd convince somebody else to buy for me because I was so poorly paid. Um, and I would sit out there and wait for that 7.5 to arrive. That is, it is a beautiful airplane in flight. I agree. So, yeah, yeah, it's, um, anyway, I'm not sure why you asked that, but but yeah, that's, that's a cool airplane. It's actually, uh, I, I think of all the aircraft that I've worked on, it, the the 7.5, I don't know why, it, 7.5 is my favorite. From a, a ramper, point of view uh, there's just a lot of room and it's real easy to load and stuff like that maybe that's why uh, yeah and i kind of like that pencil 
that pencil shape and the big engines and oh yeah, it's just like power. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We um I got to ride jump seat on one out of out of O'Hare um early in my United career and was you know plugged into the headset which was kind of cool when you're you know 20 years old and this right. is the most exciting thing you've ever seen and um the uh the the tower controller at O'Hare we were leaving at like 10 o'clock at night and he asked us what the climb rate was and the climb rate was like 4,200 feet a minute which nice. back then like nobody had ever seen that kind of climb performance before so it was pretty cool I mean a lot of airplanes do that now but back then it was spectacular wow you know I think next time when you come on I'll have my brother uh, join us he's a united uh, mechanic down in orlando and he loves that kind of stuff so i think i'll talk him into uh, to joining us that that would cool. be really cool um let's see what were the other ones andrew bolton wants to know uh how well did the 737 700 compare uh sell compared to your projection did did it do better than you thought it did it was going to or or what um that is a gosh i i'm going to try to answer a question with a short answer i think the only way to do that is yes or no um the um it has done exceptionally well um you know we were you know i mean just sort of general information i mean i I don't think it's a secret that flight simming was a dying hobby up until um, York Newman convinced the bosses at Microsoft to to fund this crazy project that Asobo's given us. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, I, um, you know, I, I see people get frustrated with you know this doesn't work or that doesn't work, and you know, are you know, and why is this and why is that? And I, um, you know, it always makes me cringe a little bit. This is an incredibly complicated simulator. Um, uh, wrong choice of words. It's not an incredibly complicated simulator. It's an incredibly complex simulator um, and when you really take a step back and look at what it does it does almost everything we want um, and you know at the end of the day Microsoft had left this sector um, and they had left the business and in the six or so years um, that there was no new Microsoft flight simulator the market was dwindling uh, and, and we saw that. I could see it in in, in revenue production. I could see it in uh, in unit sales. You know, PMDG has we've got all of our data back to to 1997, and and I can see the trend lines. And the trend lines were all bad. Um, they were very shallow, but they were down, uh, and that was going to just continue to happen. And so, Microsoft took the market. I would estimate that there were, and you know, these are these are completely my own made up numbers but you know i would estimate for sake of conversation that um the number of active simmers has probably um increased 20 fold uh in the the two years since microsoft flight simulator was released and you know and i i give york a lot of credit for that i mean he has done a wonderful job of not only convincing the bosses in a 150 billion dollar a year corporation to invest this money in this right yeah exactly um, you know but but also to keep them invested in it they didn't just drop it in the marketplace and say okay that's it they are continuing to develop they're continuing to work they are listening to the developer community they're listening to um to the customer community yeah there's a lot of stuff to fix um but the end result is you know this this service update that we've got coming it looks to me like it's got 
you know, the foundations of some really tremendous capabilities for developers. Um, and, and that's pretty darn exciting. So, you know, I, I had a problem, you know, before we released the trip, the, uh, the 737 where, you know, I'm sitting down, I'm trying to give our, you know, our e-commerce providers and, and the, you know, the other entities that support us some idea of how busy is this going to be. Um, and nobody had any idea because all of the predictive models that we have, I mean, I, in the prepared community up until last year, I could put, I could do a couple of things to gather metric data um, and, you know, uh, responses to forum announcements, views on YouTube, things of that nature, you know, just sort of manual data. I could plug those into my model and I could tell you within 2%. Uh, how many unit sales and how much revenue a product was going to generate in its first, you know, 30, 60, 90, 120, 180 in year. And, um, you know, that's nice capability. It gives us a good idea of what we're dealing with and, you know, shows us how to make changes. And when I would plug the data from our announcements and preview videos from the, the 737 into it, it was just off scale. And it was so far off scale, it was just kind of like, okay, the model's clearly broken. Um, and the model was indeed broken because we exceeded even those predictions. Um, and, you know, that's a nice position to be in for a, a company like ours that is so dependent upon um, a healthy and vibrant community. You know, I, I have always said when asked, you know, people are, you know, the, 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 the customer community, they want to see like conflict between developers as if it's like, you know, I don't know, you know, Premier League or something like that. And, and that really doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, people are always saying, you know, well, you know, geez, it would be great if you didn't have any competition. And actually, no, it wouldn't be. Um, you know, competition is what makes markets thrive. And, um, you know, the fact that there are other developers out there pushing boundaries and doing great things is wonderful. Um, you know, I it agree. brings new ideas into the community. And, you know, and let's face it, I mean, you know, this community is very incestuous. If somebody has a good idea and customers like it, then it proliferates into other products right. um, and, and other developers. And, and that's all a good thing. So um, right now is probably the most exciting time in all of Flight Sim history, um, I think. And I've been playing with Flight Sims since, you know, 1982. Um, now, this is a really great time to be doing this. Um, so, you know, the again, the short version that I probably could have given in the beginning, yeah, it did really, really well, and we're pretty happy with it. So, I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> I said we were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway. So from China, I have a request, uh, or not a request, but a question. Yeah. He says, uh, hello, thanks for this opportunity. I'd like to ask that uh, PMDG consider to implement the NG M uh, FMC option for the 747-400 for Microsoft Flight Simulator. He says there are more and more 747-400 uh, series in the real world getting this upgrade yes um and you know and that is a consideration it's something we've we've looked at a couple of times um and for you know for various reasons it wasn't uh the right time for us to do it um you know we um we look at these things and we evaluate whether development investment will be worth it in terms of um the customer experience and on that one, the last time we went through the 7.4 was, you know, that development cycle was 2014 through through early 17. Um, and the last time we went through it, that uh, the um, uh, that that FMC has a 
an industry name, and I'm drawing a blank on what it is. Um, but that FMS, you, that FMS, the, sorry, that FMS was not yet as popular in the 7.4 fleet as it has become since, and it's and that it's being popular has really been driven by a lot of the uh, the fans um, and CPDLC requirements that that have um, uh, been laid down globally. So, will we consider it? Absolutely. Um, would it be in 1.0? Gosh, it is way too early for me to, to be able to say anything like that. But um, but we are in the process of upgrading the FMS in the 7.3 to, um, I think it's U14 and later um, was the, the number that we're working on. But, you know, so so all of those things do happen. It's just a matter of finding the right time and place. But, um, but it is more likely to be considered this next time through than it was last time, just because of its use in the worldwide fleet. Okay, cool. Here, let's do a station ID here real quick. Bringing you closer to heaven than a 747. Sky Blue Radio, the official station of angels. No kidding! Talk to us about the PMDG flight tablet for the 737 Microsoft Flight Sim update. Yeah, so we, um, in our NGXU for prepared, um, or actually going back even before that, in the 747-8, we included an EFB that was a Boeing option for that airplane. And um, Boeing designed that tablet, I think originally for the 777 and then adapted it for the Dash 8. I I might be wrong there, but I think that's the history on it. And that being the case, it's a mid-90s design, and the technology is mid-90s. And um, in aviation the advancement of technology tends to be fairly slow when you start talking about transport category airplanes because of the certification requirements. You know, even just changing a menu on something might require it to be recertified, which can be ferociously expensive and time-consuming. So things like tablets don't tend, or uh, EFBs tend not to evolve quickly. So when we did the NGXU, we built the uh, the tablet, excuse me, I'm mixing metaphor, I'm mixing words here. We built the EFB that is, part of that airplane's, um, uh, you know, it's a part number on that airplane as well. And, you know, after we built them, we heard from a lot of customers that like, hey, you know, you know, I've, I've flown seven threes at three different airlines and nobody uses the Boeing, you know, EFB anymore. Everybody's using, you know, some iOS based uh, tool that's, you know, created by a, a third party and does, you know, connects to dispatch and all this other stuff. So we decided that, we want to take that approach rather than, you know, giving everybody a 30 year old, you know, EFB that's rather clunky and kind of unfriendly. Um, we decided that we wanted to kind of move all that stuff into a tablet. I mean, you know, um, when I fly in the real world now, I, I got my iPad mini with four flight on it and, and, you know, and I've got a bunch of other, you know, tools on it that I use for flying. Um, I've not used an actual EFB since I think like 1999. (laughs) So, um, so we just thought it was time to to go ahead and do that. Um, And it is coming along really, really well. Um, uh, Chris Powell, who's the development lead on that. um, He's, let me see. Um, looks like he's not online. That's good. He's probably not listening. So I can tell Smart you more guy, about right? it since he's not listening. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they've they've built out the operating system for it. Um, and literally, it is a simulation of an operating system 
on the tablet that will allow users to use it like they would use a regular tablet. And, and what we envision is, um, you know, right now it's it's got, um, uh, you know, it, it's got an app that will do all of your uh, your SimBrief stuff um, and connect SimBrief and the airplane to each other through the middleman in the in the tablet. That's cool. Um, it's got, uh, we're starting to work on putting in the performance prediction tools. Um, we're working to be really careful there because we had permission to use Boeing's methodology for the EFBs in the 7.4 and the 7.3. We have to be really, really, really careful not to borrow, and I'm making air quotes, um, you know, some private companies' intellectual property in the form of their menu layouts and things like that. Um, companies get really twitchy about that sort of thing. Um, and it does open you up for some liability um, on intellectual property rules so, that we want to be sure to avoid. So we're coming up with our in, in entirely our own system. But the, the neat thing is that that will actually allow us to unify across all the PMDG airplane types. So if you fly your 7.3 and then you jump into your triple, your tablet will be the same, um, you know. Much like if I'm flying, if I was flying the DC three, you know, this morning, and I'm flying another airplane this afternoon, I take my tablet, I take my uh, my iPad with me. I've got the same tools in both right. flight decks. It'll work that way for um, for PMDG users. And um, you know, we've got some other stuff. We've got a whole bunch of you know, global flight ops applications that that fit in there that that will leverage some of the cool stuff that comes through global flight ops. Um, and we're uh, you know we're looking at a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, and and the guys actually showed us a demo the other day. It was kind of hilarious. They were you know running one of our of our you know, official YouTube videos on the tablet in the airplane, and it's you know it's sort of a silly thing, but it's you know it's kind of fun for technology. Um, so, you know, so we're working through a bunch of stuff like that. Um, and I will get, you know, I was going to guess when I think we're, we'll probably start to preview it, but I'm afraid I would wind up, like I said, encased in concrete in a construction site someplace if I give too much information. So, um, so, uh, but it's, it's, it's making really, really good progress and it, and it does some pretty cool stuff. That's great. I'm really excited what you guys come up with. Uh, I've I've really had a good time so far what you guys have been doing. So thank you for that. You know, um, you used to own a DC. Was it DC three? Right. <laughs> yeah, used to. That's a new way of saying. It. Yeah, and I'm really sorry to say that because that probably breaks your heart. But um, tell us about that. Let, let Let's talk a little bit about you know uh, how you how you uh, how that came into your life and and uh, what happened now. Um, so I was, uh, we were racing an airplane in Reno. Uh, we, I used to, my wife and I lived out there for a decade and, um, got a, uh, a World War II era airplane that we used to race out there. And, um, I, through that, I was introduced to a, a gentleman by the name of Clay Lacey, who is very, very famous in aviation circles. And um, anyone who's seen the original Top Gun, you've seen his work. Um, he, his company did all the air-to-air -air, uh, photography for the original Top Gun. Yep. Um, and Clay is a, he is a legend in aviation. Um, and exactly I right. wound up quite by accident having the opportunity uh, to help him move his DC-3. It had been on display in, at the air races to take it back to Van Nuys. Um, and um, it was uh, it was nerve wracking. Clay is a very 
um, you know, he's, I mean, Clay, I think he's like 92 now. At the time, Clay's reputation is that he is a very demanding captain. Um, and so a couple of people that know me that know Clay, they expressed some concern to me, like, hey, are you sure you want to fly with Clay? You know, he can be kind of demanding. And I was just like, hey, I'm going to get to sit in a DC-3. He can he can tell me I'm the dumbest co-pilot he's ever had. I don't care. I'm going to fly yeah, a DC-3 with him. That's exactly right. Um, so <laughs> we wound up flying down to Lancaster, California, um, and we had uh, 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 Dick Rutan in the back, who's another aviation legend, and we uh, wound up flying down to Lancaster, California to drop Dick off. Um, and I wound up sitting in a Greasy Spoon Cafe at Lancaster Airport, and... You know, if you've seen the movie The Right Stuff, you know, you're familiar. There's like a bar with, you know, uh, I think it's Poncho's Happy Bottom Riding Club with all the pictures of, you know, the black and white pictures of all the, the dead legends um, around the walls. And this place is kind of similar. Um, some of these legends are alive. Some of them are dead. And I was sitting at a table eating a, eating a grilled cheese sandwich with two people whose fi- pictures featured prominently on, on every wall in the place. That sounds really um, good. Grilled cheese sandwich, by the way. What's that? I said a grilled cheese sandwich sounds really good, by the way. Yeah, you know, and you know, and it was you know that sort of quintessential you know greasy spoon kind of you know yeah. grilled cheese, so it was really good. Right. Um, <laughs> but I wound up sitting there, and you know, and and people were walking up and asking them for autographs uh, while we were sitting there, and you know, and I'm sitting there with my elbow over the back of the booth, like trying to act like, yeah, this is cool, it happens all the time. And inside, I was like a little kid jumping up and down screaming because I couldn't believe I'm, I'm like, you know, little old me. I'm sitting here having lunch with these two legends. I could not believe my good fortune. And, um, you know, and then we got back in the airplane and, and Clay said, you know, let me, let me show you how this works. And he, we beat up the pattern at Lancaster for a little bit. And then we went back to Van Nuys and, um, and then, you know, he shoved me into one of his leers and flew me back home to Reno. And in that conversation, um, I was at the time I was looking at um, buying a Kinger for for something I wanted to do and um, and Clay was like you don't need a Kinger what you really need is a DC three and I would just like you know Clay owning your own DC three is crazy and he convinced me that it wasn't um, and then uh, and then he worked on Marisa for me and, and convinced her that it wasn't crazy too which was even nicer um, <laughs> and so it took us a couple of years to find the right airplane we we found one that had been operated um, in Alaska as a passenger airplane. Um, she'd been kind of derelict for a few years, um, really needed a lot of love. Um, we, we bought her, had restored her, um, two engine overhauls, um, uh, you know, new paint job, all new hydraulics, a bunch of new electrics, some cool. new avionics, things like that. Um, what and a then good time my, that must have been, huh? It was a project. Yeah, um, I mean, besides the bank account, of course, but I mean, the just the satisfaction of, of restoring such an iconic aircraft, you know, that would be really cool. I I used to build models of them when I was a kid, and uh, here okay. I was. Yeah, you know, and dream um, come true. You know, sometimes you just got to pinch yourself. Um, but uh, you know, we did the restoration and then uh, hopped in the airplane to fly it back to Reno, where our hangar was. Um, and leaving Ogden, Utah, its first flight after completing restoration, and and the right engine ate itself as we were leaving the runway. Oh no. Um, so it was my first flight in that airplane, um, and it was my first flight as a as a member of the crew. I was the the uh, the co-pilot on that on that day, and um, so you know that was kind of frustrating. Um, but um, you know it's an airplane, and you know back we went, um, and we did another engine overhaul, and 
uh, learned some lessons from from that. Um, but we brought the airplane back to the East Coast ten years ago, um, and we've operated her you know all over the U.S. We flew her back and forth to Europe. I think I've bored you with those stories before, um, and. That's okay. We're going to talk about that coming up. So okay, um, and you know we had a marvelous time with her. Um, but you know the, there's a team of eleven guys that helped me operate the airplane, and she was a marvelous reason to be able to get together with a bunch of guys whose company you thoroughly enjoy, um, and who help you be a a more professional aviator. Um, it was wonderful and. But as the years have progressed, and you know, all of our careers have changed somewhat and advanced, and you know, throw, throw in COVID, and you know, a couple of guys had you know, uh, moves related to their jobs, and right. um, and all of a sudden, it was getting harder and harder for us to get the crew together to fly. And I started to question whether it was safe for us to continue to operate. Um, and and I, you know, and that sounds sort of um, reactionary but the reality is that operating a dc3 is a very complicated endeavor and it requires practice and it requires attention to detail and it requires proficiency and where we used to fly the airplane 50 to 70 hours a year suddenly we're flying we were flying at 15 to 20 and that might not sound like a big deal um if you've ever tried to maintain currency in multiple airplanes at the same time, it becomes a big deal in a moment of crisis. And so while I'm perfectly comfortable with my ability to fly that airplane through a, through an engine failure right at V1, and I'm perfectly comfortable with the support that I would get from my team at that moment, um, the reality was that all of us were getting more rusty and that that was starting to nag at me. And we'd had a, we'd had a really good run. We never scared ourselves in the airplane. We'd only had to make one in flight, excepting that one engine failure. We only had to make a single diversion in flight for a mechanical reason in 10 years of flying. And I just decided, you know, if we can't do this and ensure it can be done safely, it's time for us not to do this anymore. Yeah, um, right. and, and that was a really tough decision to make. Um, I bet it was. But, can't be uh, I sold all. the airplane to a, a fellow I knew from the DC-3 community. Um, he came and picked it up. It'll be through, uh, three weeks ago today. Um, and we stood out on the ramp and we watched her leave. And it was the first time I'd ever seen the airplane fly. Um, so I'd flown it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, but I'd never been on the outside of it and watched it fly. That must have been hard. It was... A very interesting, uh, very emotional day. It I felt bet it was. disloyal. Uh, you know, this airplane has been a. It, it sounds crazy to say it's a machine. It's it's metal. It's aluminum. It's oil. It's yeah, gas. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, that doesn't but matter. But she was a a magnet that brought a whole bunch of really wonderful people together. Right. And we, you know, and and she was part of our family. Um, so it felt very disloyal. But uh, the fellow that I sold her to. He is as excited to own this airplane as I was, um, and uh, he has um, uh, he has assured me that he would like me to come out and, and fly the airplane with him. And so Eric and I will probably make a trip out there at some point to to go do some flying with him and share some of our knowledge of the airplane's quirks. And um, but it was a it was a tough day. Um, I actually woke up uh, the Saturday after with the first hangover I've had since I think I was like 22, um, <laughs> and, which my wife thought was hilarious because um, 
you know, I, in the morning, I was like, you know, I felt like the top of my head needed to be held on. And so when I was whining about my, my hangover, I said, you know, I can't possibly be hungover. I only had like, you know, like three drinks. And she laughed in the way someone who, only someone who really truly loves you can laugh at you. Um, and she pointed out that, um, that the three on the counter, those were the three last ones, that there were a whole bunch that preceded it. Um, and so anyway, it was, it was a sad day. Um, but, um, you know, at the, at the same time, I, I'm glad that she's where she is. She's with a, a great guy, a wonderful aviator. Um, he has a lot of experience with DC-3s, so she'll be operated well. Um, and, um, you know, it's a wonderful go? chapter, I and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, Is it going to be somewhere here in the United States? or It is. It uh, The airplane now lives in Topeka, Kansas. Oh, um, wow. And That's kind of weird. There's a, there's a museum out there, and I'm, and I'm oh, intentionally yeah. being cagey here and not saying any names because I don't know that this fellow has has made it known that he owns the airplane yet. Um, so I'm trying to be respectful of his privacy yeah. and not saying who it is. But, um, okay, but, well, we'll uh, leave it alone. You know, but he's, he owns a, uh, an aviation-related company out there, and he is the president of, a mu- of an aviation museum. And that museum has its own DC-3, but he wanted one for himself. Um, and so our airplane was unique in that it was a passenger-configured DC-3, and most of them are not. So How cool um, is that, right? So it, he was excited to get it. Man, I, I, I wish, well, I, I wish I was kind of in your shoes with that because how cool is that to have a DC-3? They, they started making those, what, 1930-something, 1930, 1930, uh, uh, 1935 the, uh, the was, was, was the first flight, I think, right? So, yep, and, you know, and it was fun because everywhere you went, everybody thought you were like driving the coolest piece of machinery on the airport yeah, and it didn't matter where you were um, yeah you know we'd we'd fly into tiny little airports full of you know cessna 172s and everybody would come out to see us um we took the airplane into, into atlanta hartsfield and everybody came out to see us um and wow. you know it, that's kind of a fun thing especially when you really love airplanes and you love aviation yeah um and it, one of the things we used to do was um uh, you know, we would take the airplane to air shows and, you know, people would walk up and say, well, you know, who owns this? And I would say, you know, a company in Virginia, which was entirely true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say it was me. I, I didn't care if they knew that I owned the airplane. Um, it was more fun. doesn't matter. To sort of stand there and listen to them talk about how nice the airplane looked right. when they didn't know that you had anything to do with how it got that way. Um, right. So it was it was a lot of fun to, to do that. And, you know, we, we did a whole bunch of air shows, and, the, and you know, we answered the same five questions 300,000 times, um, you know, and, um, you know, people would want to know if we flew it there, which always kind of made me laugh. So then, you know, one day our crew chief, just because, um, you know, Aaron kind of, he gets a, the devilish look in his eye and one day he told he told someone with an absolutely straight face that we that it's actually inflatable and we brought it there in a trailer um <laughs> and they were like wow it looks real and then they would turn around and walked away and that, you know it was just like <laughs> you know like where did you come up with that answer and he was like i don't know it just seemed like the thing to say <laughs> you know that's like, funny but um, you know, it was it was always fun. And we used to take it to the Smithsonian Museum here in D.C. Uh, out at Dulles Airport, and a bunch of those folks were friends of ours. And and you know, we would have it on display outside there, and and that was always a great time. And um, you know, it it's a fun airplane to be associated with. Um, but you know, there's a time and a place, and 
we reached a point where we could not continue to operate that airplane safely. So it was it was time to go out. We we got into it deliberately, and we got out of it deliberately. So um, I'd rather have it be that way than any other way. You know what I mean? Well, and that's you know I got a lot of friends in the Warbird community, and you know there are people who get themselves into bad situations, and there are people who get killed um, because their ability to do that um, erodes over time. I mean, flying requires proficiency, and it requires practice, and it requires studying and attention to detail. Um, and Especially you know, with that I, aircraft nowadays, I, right? Uh, say, sorry? I said especially with that type of aircraft nowadays. Yeah, with yeah. And, and stuff. Um, you know, and, I, and, and a DC-3 is, you know, it, I mean, it, you know, hey, every airplane's easy to fly when everything's working, but when right. an engine quits... Um, she is really, you know, her, she's got her headset on punishing you, um, and you got to be on your game. And I've, I've had, um, I've had uh, five engine failures in multi-engine airplanes, um, and I just wasn't interested in having my sixth be in that airplane. Um, so, you know, you. I, I didn't ever want to have to look back at, uh, you know, at my wife or, or my daughter or any of my, you know, crewmates or their wives or children and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Um, and, um, you know, it's, that's a lot of responsibility. I mean, we, uh, I was exhausted by the responsibility of, of carrying our entire team, um, across the Atlantic. And that, that, when I say that, that doesn't sound the way I mean it to say, but there's a lot of responsibility when you take the husbands of eight women who you know really well. And, you know, I, I don't think I can count that many children on, on two hands, but, um, you know, however many kids and say, hey, we're going to go across the Atlantic. Don't worry about it. It's going to be safe. Um, it is a huge responsibility. And it has to be done right. Um, and, you know, if we were taken off tomorrow with a full load and we lost an engine, um, if we're not proficient, we could die. Yeah, uh, and anyone who doesn't think that can happen um, is kidding themselves. Right. So, um, you know, so it's, it's, um, I'm glad that we did what we did, uh, and I'm and I'm glad we did it how we did it. And I will miss the airplane forever. Um, I'll miss being that quirky guy that owns a DC three. Um, but um, you know, I we had a good run of it, and I'm I'm glad we finished it up the way we did. But I found out that you had a DC three. I'm like, holy crap! How cool is that? How crazy is that? Guy? Yeah, that's awesome. And, <laughs> and what's really cool is you know if you go all the way back from DC three to like. You know, the Douglas DC-1. The DC-1 uh, started in, what, 1933, and they only made one of those aircraft because, you know, they they slid right into the DC-2, right? 1934, I think it was, and TWA, of course, uh, knocked that out, and they made almost 200 of those. So that, that that's that's really a collector's item that, that you guys have. The eight, yeah. uh, 600 and 607 uh, DC-3s is what they made. And the first one was uh, 1936 with American Airlines. So how cool is that, right? So there were actually a lot more than that. Um, I think that number you're seeing is uh, how many they made pre-war. Um, there is oh, yeah. a right. yeah, wild right. variations in how many were made. Um, and I don't know that anyone actually has a finite number. But... Our serial number um, was 34378, and that serial number was put on the airplane. It was the 12th to last one built. 
So, um, and the first ship was serial number one. <laughs> so that'll give you an idea how many they made. But during wartime, they were being made by, by Douglas. They were being made by Boeing. They were being right. made by Studebaker. They were being made by Ford. Um, you know, it was a tremendous effort to, to build airplanes during World War II. And, and so many of them were built. Um, there are actually a couple of airplanes out there that had the same serial number, and that caused a tremendous amount of confusion in the National Registry. Um, so, you know, it, it's um, I the number that I saw that I think is probably more accurate is that there's something that was the, we were in the neighborhood of twenty thousand that were built um, altogether. So, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what was the other thing I had for you guys? Um, I was talking about oh, you know what we we're talking about clay earlier. And I did a little research while you were talking in. Uh, th- this guy's really done a lot. Clay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and, and l- let me just read this off real quick. He, uh, let's see here. Entrepreneur, airline captain, military test pilot, air race champion, avi- uh, aviation record setter, and aerial seminographer. Is that the right word? He took pictures. Yeah. Uh, he re- accumulated more hours flying jets than anyone on Earth, over 50,000 flight hours and more than 300 different types of aircraft. He set 29 world speed records and performed over 2,500 film missions. And while still at a pilot, still as a pilot in 1964, he earned his Learjet rating. Kind of weird, right? You're a pilot in United in 1964 and you got your Learjet. Well, I guess that's kind of when they started, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that that's really cool. So, um, so yeah. So yeah, and, and Bill Lear was one of his best friends. Um, and, oh yeah, Bill. You know, so when you sit and talk to a guy like Clay over a you know a grilled cheese sandwich, when he talks about <laughs> his friends, he's talking about people that you and I read about in history books. Yeah. Um, and it just gives you such a different perspective when you when you sit there and um, you, you know and and it and it. It has been neat uh, in the you know, during, especially early on when we first acquired our airplane. Um, you know, it was nice to be able to call a man like that a friend. Um, and he just is—he's a, um, you know, he's, he was a, a mountain of a man. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being. Right. Um, could not be more kind to you know to me, my wife, uh, my daughter. Cool. Uh, was wonderful to members of our team as we were getting our airplane spooled up and when we brought our airplane to reno in 2013 uh, post restoration to show it off he came out and and sat in the airplane with me for you know gosh probably 90 minutes you know and, and there were you know people had knew he was there and there were you know um magazine um, uh, journalists and things like that that wanted to talk to him and you know our crew chief was sort of you know standing in front of the door to keep them out and Clay and I just sat in the airplane and chatted like old buddies and we talked about you know, all the different facets of the restoration and he had you know all kinds of ideas and technical knowledge and just a world-class gentleman um, and you know the, the fun in aviation for for me has always been the people that I've met along the way and and he certainly stands head and shoulders uh, among them so um, just a really neat guy I'd agree with that a hundred percent what what do we have coming for the future I mean we talked a lot about the 737 777 74 what what else do you guys have going on that you want to share so uh, the 
uh, the, the the triple and the seven four, um, and the and the seven four will come in a couple of flavors with the dash eight and the and the four hundred. Um, the uh, the triple the, the the models that we have already built, uh, you know, the the two hundred er, the lr, the two hundred lr, and the three hundred er, those will all um, make their move into Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, we are unifying everything with the tablet as we as we talked about. We are in the process of upgrading um, the uh, lateral flight path, as we talked about, and we're also uh, in the process of changing the way we deal with nav data. Um, you know, uh, at the um, uh, Jeff, I don't know if you if you use Navigraph, but you know the I do, nav actually. data that our airplanes use is an old format from 2002, and it's like that because that's what was being used by the sim community at the time and um the in the real world you know when i go out and update the fms's in in um you know in, in the airplanes that i'm flying now that format is all entirely different than it was 20 years ago because of the prevalence now of uh, gps derived approaches and the data that's needed to to be able to do the computations and the legs and all that kind of stuff we don't currently have that in our uh, in our product line, but it's coming, um, you know, and that will that will make its debut before we're done with the seven threes, and then you know it will work through our entire Boeing product catalog. Um, we've got um, you know, gosh, a continual update process that we're we're still building so that we can keep adding features and functions to airplanes as we go. Um, and the um, you know, I, I think what what you would probably like me to tell you is that you know. Um, which of the airplane models sitting on my desk is going to be our next uh, development? Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, process. the seven five seven. You know, I, it is a it's a beautiful model. I, it really is. I've, I've you know, it's um, I got it sitting right here. I've got a little, little you know, it's the, on the bookshelf next to my desk. I've got a um, a little one two hundred scale jet bridge that sticks out of the wall, um, and and it's <laughs> attached on one end to a a seven five and a seven four on the other end. So that's pretty um, cool. But. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we got a lot of stuff coming. We have a lot of work in front of us. And so, um, you know, I really have no business making promises about what airplanes are coming next because um, we have got a tremendous amount of work ahead um, bringing our airplanes up to a, a more modern standard in, into Microsoft Flight Simulator. And, um, you know, frankly, we're, we are starting to have fun doing it because, um, you know, there's there's nothing more there's nothing more disheartening than just absolutely banging your head on the desk, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day for months on end, just trying to get the thing to work and, and have yeah. every day be a, you know, a new version of yesterday's struggle. Um, you know, there's just nothing more tiring than that. And finally having the seven, three out the door, you know, and the DC six out the door and seeing that people are using them and enjoying them. And, you know, and, um, you know, I lurk all over the internet in, in, you know, different, um, user groups that, um, you know, well, okay. Let's tell the truth. It's mostly Facebook because I'm too lazy to go looking for them anywhere else. But there's a, a whole bunch of user groups that I lurk into, and yeah. uh, and every now and then I'll throw a comment in. Just you know, if if I if someone's got a question, you know, sometimes I'll answer. But I I try to be incognito and just watch because um, for me it's it's fun to see people posting images of the flying they're doing and, you know, discovering things with the airplane and, and, you know, sharing an image of it or, you know, a description and, and hearing, you know, people say um, really nice things about the, the work that we've done. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I like to absorb that and, you know, take that back to work with me in the morning. Um, it makes it a lot more fun. So it's nice to have some stuff on the market finally. 
So uh, we're starting to run out of time here. Let me do a station ID here really quick. Hey everybody, it's Mike McBride from Plane Savers Ice Pots and a whole bunch of other stuff. You're listening to Sky Blue Radio, sounding great at any altitude. That was your buddy Mikey McBride from Ice Pilots there in uh, Canada. He's a really good guy, I guess, right? He is. Mikey's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely think the world of... And, you know, after you and I spoke last time, uh-huh. I think he listened to your podcast or your podcast triggered a conversation or something, and um, he reached out to me. It was it was pretty funny. So, He's a great guy. Um, it was like, like, you know, hours later. Uh, it, was, it was pretty funny. Mikey's a great guy. That's good. So uh, I guess... We need to start wrapping things up. Tell us about in-flight entertainment with PMDG. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if Sky Blue Radio was, you know, available in one of your products? You know, if they tuned to 123.45 on Comp 2 maybe or or something similar, what what, what can we do to to make that happen? You know what would be kind of fun is, i got to think this through, in the, in like the, the big Boeing's, you know, you can you can go and listen to the cabin audio channel if you if you here want to. Yeah, here I, we go. I'm pretty sure you can in the seven three, but I, I I'm not as comfortable with that um, with that ACP, so I'm not sure how it works. But uh, you know, it would be kind of fun if we had you on a on a uh, an audio channel back there. Um, you know, I, I bet you if I there's a couple of people I could put that in front of who could probably make that sort of thing happen. Um, but uh, you know, it'd be it'd be fun because that there's. One of the neat things about Microsoft Flight Simulator is there's so much optimization of resources in real time going on within the simulator that we can do more than we used to be able to do in prepared. Uh, you know, in prepared, we sort of had to deal with a very finite amount of memory, um, and we had to share it with everything else the user might install in their sim. And in Microsoft Flight Simulator, that's not really the case anymore. So we've been able to push boundaries a lot further than we than we realized. Um, and you know, and actually, I think people are seeing that now. This this update we just pushed. You know, there's areas where we can just dramatically increase the graphical quality of things because we are discovering that we we're not hitting limits in the sim. Yeah. So by the same token, we're also starting to do that in the cabins now too. And, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, the airplane I fly currently has, you know, this air show thing that on the screen, then the airplane kind of moves its way across the screen. So your passengers can see where they are and, you know, stuff like that might be kind of fun. Um, but it, you know, and then it also has this little news, news scroll across the bottom of it. And none of us have been able to figure out where it's getting the information for that news scroll, whether it's coming in off of a VHF or a UHF, um, because, but it's always got news along the bottom of it and nobody knows where it comes from. So, you know, stuff like that might be kind of fun to add into, you know, flight simulators. Um, and it's, and this is the thing that's fun about having a, a really nicely designed platform is you can take the time to add stuff like that and yeah. say, you know, okay, let's let's find others in the community that want a thing like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's one of the things that we're keeping in consideration with our uh, with the the in-flight tablet um, is that we really would like to be able to say to other developers, hey, if you've got a tool for flight simmers, here's the, you know, here's the, you know, the the set of parameters you need to know, and you can make that run right inside the the tablet in the PMDG flight deck to, you know, so your your users can have access to it there. You know, stuff like that. So um, maybe we should work on an icon for you. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. See, yeah. yeah I'm okay. gonna add a I'm gonna add a zero to your salary. That's for sure. 
On the front side or the back uh, side? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, Robert, we're, we're out of time, but I, I have such a good time when you, you would come on air. So thank you very much for for coming and being with us. And if uh, any of the listeners uh, right now missed any part of the show, we'll have it on a podcast here shortly and uh, on our YouTube channel and social media and all that kind of stuff. So thank you again, Robert. I really, really appreciate it and look forward to the uh, the next time that you're with us. Absolutely. It's been, it's been fun. And, you know, next time we do this, let's plan ahead. I'm going to send you... I'm going to send you a bottle of something, and you and I will sit and have a drink together while we talk. How's that? That sounds awesome. Let's do All that. Right. <laughs> All right. Good. So that's Robert Randezzo from PMDG. Uh, thank you very much again, Robert, for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you next time, I guess, huh? Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, Thanks again, Robert. We'll see you later. So that was Robert from uh, Sky Blue Radio. I'm JT, sounding great at NEL2, www.skyblueradio.com. That's the place to go, and we'll get that podcast uh, all set up for you guys and, and stuff like that. So don't go anywhere. DJ Skip is.